an older man stands before a younger Los Angeles crowd, lights beaming down onto the stage. He begins to address them, but is unable to speak for long before the chanting and cheering of everybody overtakes him, and he's forced to resort to a patient smile. This scene could easily be mistaken for the Bernie Sanders rally that took place in Los Angeles earlier this month. But it's not. Though the enthusiasm was the same for the self-described socialist, the man is Ronald Reagan, and the year is 1980. Here's the audio. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks very much. Those, of course, were different days. While in 1980, the Republican uh, president-elect had just won his home state by a near 17% margin, the grand old party hasn't carried California in a presidential election since 1988. With a few exceptions, California has become a decidedly Democratic stronghold. Neither one of the two Democratic senators have gotten less than 50% of the vote in an election since 2000. And despite virtually no campaigning, Jerry Brown received a higher percentage of votes than any California governor in the last 30 years. Many think that Kamala Harris is quote-unquote race, to fill Barbara Boxer's soon-to-be-empty Senate seat will be more of a coronation than a contest, and almost 75% of California's congressional districts are held by Democrats. All in all, California seems about as blue as they come. Uh, this episode is a slight detour from the course of earlier episodes of this podcast. We'll come back to the Bill of Rights next episode and focus on the Eighth Amendment then, but I wanted more time for that episode, so I decided to go with this one instead, which I had already been working on for a while. Uh, it makes one wonder. What happened to the days when Republicans like Ronald Reagan and Pete Wilson, who was a former California senator and governor, ruled the roost? And moreover, will those days ever come back again? That's the topic of today's show. I'm Cole, and this is Political Theory. start off today's show by saying that I don't think this episode is just for people in the Golden State. Sure, this episode focuses on California, but many of the issues that are mentioned uh, here in the episode are issues that the Republican Party is beginning to face on a broader scale. Uh, the Latino vote, having to capture a growing number of independents, um, having to take more moderate issues. California is representative in a lot of ways in the direction that the country is trending. And so I think in that way this episode is for anybody, no matter where you live. So, let's jump right in. Why doesn't a Republican have the same chances or prospects of winning California as he or she did back in the 1980s, when Reagan carried it by a 17% margin? Well, for starters, the population of California looks significantly different from the one in 1980, due to an influx of people who, if you take what Donald Trump says to be true, are running around the streets of California stealing and raping and pillaging and shooting up drugs in their spare time. It's undeniable that the Latino population has become a much bigger force than it was in the days of Reagan, as they are now the largest ethnic majority in the state. Republican stances on immigration, including Pete Wilson's famous anti-immigration proposition 
187 have turned many in the Latino community against the Republican Party. 59% of Latino voters are registered as Democrat, after all. And comments like those made by Trump about uh, immigrants from Mexico being rapists and uh, committing excessive crime, well, they don't do the GOP any favors in a state where winning the Latino vote is becoming increasingly critical in a, securing a path to victory. And they certainly won't do the GOP any favors as the Latino population continues to grow in America, and they become, again, uh, a demographic that's increasingly critical in securing a path to victory. Republicans, if they hope to win a statewide office in California and avoid the trends nationwide, will have to have a candidate who can appeal Latino voters. This doesn't mean the candidate has to be a Latino themselves. In fact, just being part of that demographic doesn't inherently get you the vote. Susana Martinez and Brian Sandoval, both uh, Hispanic gubernatorial candidates, lost that Latino vote miserably, though they both won their elections overall. Martinez turned Latino uh, voters off with their hardline immigration position, and Sandoval lost the Latino vote 2-1, to one, largely because of his positions on racial profiling as a crime-fighting tactic. Uh, you know, a Republican with a softer stance on immigration who can convince Latino voters that a conservative economic agenda will bring more jobs into the impoverished communities where many immigrants have unfortunately found themselves could easily take up a large percentage of that voting block. And if she or, uh, he happens to be Latino on top of that, like Marco Rubio, Florida, then all the better. But many Californians have also gravitated away from GOP positions on social issues. The Republican Party continues to defend its stances against gay marriage, abortions, and marijuana legalization, all issues that California voters are overwhelmingly in favor of. The last time a Republican won the governorship of California, he held moderate positions on all of those issues. When asked about gay marriage, then-Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger said he approved of a domestic partnership. Schwarzenegger was also pro-choice, and supported legalizing marijuana for medical use. The Governator is uh, the self-stylized uh, comic book that was set to be released by Marvel after his term, but was ultimately canceled, uh, labeled him was somewhat of a rarity in terms of GOP candidates, and most conservatives don't share those views. While many Republicans in other states worry about isolating far-right divisions of the GOP like the Tea Party if they gain or if they take a more moderate stance on social issues, Tea Party movements have failed to gain significant traction in California. Only three of California's 53 districts are represented by congressmen who identify with the Tea Party movement. Beyond a few areas, Tea Party support in the Golden State has failed to materialize, and this lack of far-right movements would allow for a Republican candidate to take more moderate social stances without risking a serious challenge from their right, like many other candidates worry about. Hopefully, he or she could capture voters who would otherwise be turned off by more hardline positions on social issues. Here's Robert Rosencrantz, who serves on multiple think tanks and founded Intelligence Square, summarizing that notion. The GOP has alienated uh, large parts of the uh, uh, potential electorate with particularly its stance on social issues, on things like gay marriage, uh, uh, women's uh, freedom of choice, uh, and immigration. And the thought is that, uh, that those social parts of the GOP agenda are just uh, uh, fatal to their success in national elections and need to be rethought. And like virtually everywhere else in the country, the Republican Party has an image problem. While the GOP struggles to shake its image of a party dominated by old white rich men, the next generation of liberal leaders in California are youthful and energetic. Democratic politicians like Kamala Harris, Gavin Newsom, Eric Garcetti, and many more embody the next generation of voters. Yet Republicans don't have the same number of young, vibrant candidates getting the attention required to make a serious bid for statewide office. Republicans need a candidate with the charisma, and preferably the youth, to sway those young voters who would otherwise be drawn to liberal candidates due simply to the fact that they look more like them. 
if the GOP if the GOP continues to push candidates like Tim Donnelly or Daryl Issa, both of whom pursued the governor's chair at one time or another, uh, they continue to push those candidates against candidates like Harris. They'll find themselves fighting an uphill battle. A CBS poll found after the recall election that put Gray Davis out of office and put Schwarzenegger in. Well, it found that 45% of people who voted for Schwarzenegger did so because of his persona and leadership, not because of his policy. If Republicans can find a candidate who can rack up votes with a persona that is appealing to voters, like they did with Schwarzenegger, California voters might be more willing to accept conservative ideals. Neil Kashkari, who ultimately beat Donnelly in a 2014 blanket primary for the Republican vote, uh, fulfilled many of these categories in the governor's race. He's young, but experienced. He's a decent public speaker. He holds many moderate social issues, including being pro-gay marriage and pro-abortion. He's the son of immigrants, and he gained 40% of the vote. But he failed to oust Brown. Kashkari lost, Kashkari, I mean, lost for a number of reasons. He didn't exactly have the funding apparatus or the name recognition required to take on Brown. And he didn't really embody Mr. Charisma. On top of that, 2014 saw extremely low voter turnout across the board. But he's still very representative of the direction that more Republicans ought to go if they want to retake California for that conservative agenda in the future. If the GOP can find candidates who can appeal to Latino and younger voters, then opportunities for Republicans in the Golden State are on the horizon. Division, within, division within California Democratic politics could present an opening for the right Republican candidate. While the Democratic Party nationally has been split between the progressive and centrist factions, I think the Clinton-Sanders rivalry is rather evident to that, that split has become clear in California as well. Despite both being members of the Democratic Party, few would group Barbara Lee and Judy Chu, two of the most uh, progressive members of Congress, with Dianne Feinstein, widely considered to be more of a moderate. In 2014, uh, the race for California State Superintendent of Public Instruction highlighted a clear split within the Democratic Party on unions. While Tom Torlickson, who was the incumbent, strongly supported teachers' unions, his opponent, Marshall Tuck, argued that the power of teachers' unions in California need to be re reduced. In what ended up being a very close race, the pro-union position held out, but it represented an increasingly divisive Democratic Party in California. Republicans don't have the same concerns in California, where Tea Party movements do not split the party nearly as severely as elsewhere in the country. If the Democratic Party continues to divide itself, a single Republican Party unified behind a single candidate could overwhelm a Democratic Party split between two ideologies. On top of that, independents have become an increasingly powerful force in California politics. Since 1992, the number of independents has doubled, now at 20%, making them an important political force. Polling after the 2003 recall election found that a little under half of independents voted for Schwarzenegger, and if Republicans hope to recapture statewide office, they will need to repeat that feat. What drew independence to Schwarzenegger was the same thing that drew many Democrats to Reagan during the 1966 California gubernatorial election, a combination of charisma and newcomer. The idea that those candidates, because they weren't embedded in state politics, would bring a fresh new point of view and accomplish what those ingrained in a broken system had failed to, well, that swayed many independents toward their cause. Here's an audio clip from the video played at Schwarzenegger's uh, victory rally that I think kind of speaks to the qualities that drew independence to him and the kind of qualities that Republicans... Uh, we'll need in a candidate in order to excite voters again. So began one of the most unique times in the history of American democracy. And at the end of the day, the people took a giant leap of faith and trusted their hopes and dreams to someone larger than life. Few probably held high hopes for his knowledge of politics. But we were attracted to his strength, his convictions, he had common sense. He held that mysterious quality 
of charisma. He brought attention back to California. But what surprised the world was that Arnold Schwarzenegger could also lead. I realized I was elected on faith and hope. And I feel a great responsibility not to let the people down. Thank you very much. People like an outsider, right? Reagan, Schwarzenegger, now Trump, I think all prove that. And in a state as populous and diverse as California, there are plenty of those. If Republicans can find a candidate with enough, enough personality and youth to excite younger voters and shatter the, let's face it, less than flattering image Republican stereotype, if they can find a candidate who can mag, uh, magnetize independent and even some Democratic voters with socially moderate views, and if they can find a candidate who is willing to take a different approach to immigration than the one pursued by Donald Trump and attract Latino voters, then they can have a clear path forward to Sacramento. In a state of over 38 million people, there's bound to be plenty of candidates like that out there. To imply that Republicans' chances of retaking California for conservative values is as low as the reservoirs drained by the California drought is very much so a misreading of the Golden State and its voters. Opportunities exist for Republican candidates willing to challenge the status quo and break Democratic monopolies on certain voting blocks and ideologies. At the end of the NBC report covering Ronald Reagan's victory speech in Los Angeles, the camera turns from an older Reagan to a younger Chris Wallace. Wallace, who had then been uh, working at NBC for five years and still had years to go before getting his own Fox News Sunday show, looks at the camera and says this. I suppose the same could be true for Republican politics in California in general. Thanks for listening. You can check out our website, listen to past episodes either here on iTunes or uh, on our website at www.politicaltheorypodcast.com. You can email us at politicaltheorypodcast at gmail.com with your questions, comments, concerns, observations, or whatever else you feel like, and uh, I'll try to read them or answer them out loud on the air uh, if they fit the niche of the show. Uh, please tell your friends, spread the word, and uh, be sure to tune in next time for the Eighth Amendment episode when we get back on track with the Bill of Rights. Again, I you know uh, felt like I hadn't posted something in a while, and I didn't want you guys to get bored or think that I had stopped posting. I had this episode partially done, so I finished up pretty quickly, uh, and I wanted more time to work on the Eighth Amendment episode because it's going to be good. Uh, join us then. Until then, thanks for listening.